Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender at Blender HD. You want to follow me there on Twitter. And this is the show where uh, we'll take a look at the yesterday's slate, small one, six-game slate. What did some people do? Go through results, DB. Talk about strategy. We have a 14-game slate coming up tonight. Uh, and uh, I'll answer your questions, right? That's, that's what we do here in the morning, right? I see you guys on YouTube, right? Give me those thumbs up. Give me the thummy thumbs. Hit the smash, the thumb, the up, the down, the sideways, the subscribe button. Hit, hit, oh, hit all the buttons on the screen. Hit the notification bell. Hit turn it off, turn it on. Ring a ding, ding. Wake yourself up in the morning. I need to be woken up in the morning. But I see you guys in the YouTube chat. Doug Montgomery, Andrew Garcia, Real Life Pitcher, Bobby Gunn, Edger, Edward Brown, Matt Mears, Jane Newman, Sterling Woods, Card Fan, Joe Mack, Ryan Edwards. We're all here. Yesterday's slate did not work out for me. I only played nine lineups. I only played like the mid-stake stuff. Of course, I threw it into the large field, but it's not like it would have worked out anyway. Uh, I just basically played like the highest like leverage type of lineups that I could, and and that didn't work. And it, it, the chalk almost didn't work either. Like nothing. It seemed like nothing worked. Nothing. If you stacked every team, you didn't. You didn't get there, right? You needed like ones and twos of different things. Can you, did you find all the home runs? Did you find the right two pitchers? Then, 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 then you did fine yesterday. But yesterday, I pretty much uh, uh, I faded Alec Manoa, I faded Lance Lynn, and I played the teams against uh, the, the game that the White Sox Toronto game. But those two pitchers, I had the bats. Though. So obviously, the game was what two to one. That did, that didn't work out. Uh, and then I had Colorado, I had Atlanta, uh, I, I let a, uh, Wainoa, Enoa, however you pronounce his last name, against the Chalk Yankees, right? So, and I didn't play the Astros. So, like, just take a look at the ownership. Like, I, I had like none of the, I had none of this. I had some Seattle, right? So, I, I had some Kyle Seeger. If we look at like the top, if we look at like the top, just on the screen, it's all players that I did not have. So, some good, some bad. That's what I did with nine lineups. If I was playing a hundred lineups, I probably I would have had some Aaron Judge, right? I would have it would have been showed, you know, in a five-one-one-one or a four-three-one or something. It could show up in something, right? I may not have had many Yankee stacks. I may not have had many Astro stacks, but I would have had something. But in nine lineups and mid-stakes GPPs, just like nope, I'm just gonna I'm gonna play play the the best, the best direction that I think. And then if it gets there, it gets there. And if it doesn't, I just, that's, that's it. It's, you just, you lose it all. You lose it all. That's fine with me. I mean, it's not like Manoa really got there, but I mean, no pitcher like got there, got there. 15.5 was actually fine from Alec Manoa. Lance Lynn, 19. But you take a look, Correa was 29% owned, three points. Granky was 24%. I don't even, I don't know why Granky was even owned. I mean, yes, owned somewhat, but like not to that extent where he would be the third highest on pitcher on the slate. Like we had Manoa Lynn and then Grenke Hendricks. Apparently people played Hendricks. Okay. Well, I mean, I was playing Colorado, so obviously I didn't have any Hendricks. I thought Senzatella and Wainoa would be like more, maybe not Wainoa, 23% I got. I thought Senzatella would get maybe up to 30%. I played some Will Crow, which was good for four innings. Then the fifth inning, nope, all his points go away. He goes from like 16 points down to four points. 
You can see here, look, look at that. I mean, the Astros, the Astros actually were chalkier than the Yankees yesterday. Correa, Altuve, Alvarez. The Yankees, I mean, the Yankees were chalky, but nowhere near as chalky as I thought they would be. I mean, I still probably wouldn't have played them in, in the, the small amount of lineups that I did play. But like in, in larger field stuff, I mean, if you if you X'd out the Yankees, I mean, I still think they may have been slightly, slightly overowned, but not not really on a six-game slate. 17 for Judge, 14 for Gallo. I mean, look, we had uh, Starling Marte was 19% owned. Right, Young Gomes, 15% with the A's. Pieces of the A's, pieces of the Diamondbacks. You see here where the Braves start to come in, 13, 12, 12. Solaire, 11. I thought the Braves would be much more lower owned. So I played them. Semi, and then here, here we come with the, the, the Blue Jays. But they were, I mean, the Blue Jays and the White Sox were not, were not well owned at all. They were actually let the here, here's the thing. Look, take a look at the ownership of, of the rally cap. This is the eight dollar contest. It's gonna be so much more condensed. Let's let's bring up. I'll show you the difference because like I'm I'm looking at the ownership here for the rally cap, but I built my lines for like the, the $88 contest. So we take a look at the $88 contest, for instance. Medium eight, the medium eights, right? So we're going to go rally cap versus, let's get rid of all of these, the medium eights. Let's put the medium eights first. The rally cap, okay. We'll put that up. So understand my thing. Like I, I threw my lineups into the rally cap, but I was building for the medium eights. Look at the difference in the ownerships in both contests. So you're looking for green versus versus yellow. So like Alec Manoa was 38% owned in the rally cap, but he was 46% owned in the medium eights, which is not like dramatic, but still enough so that I get more leverage by fading him. And I also know that the white the White Sox against him are going to be even lower owned. Right. So we go, we go to a, let's say a Brayu. Not that much, not that much of a difference here. How about Luis Robert? Not that much of a difference here. I, I, I thought I would get different ownership. Okay, let's see. Let's see. Jimenez. Okay, it's not that dramatically different for the White Sox. But you, you get more leverage, right? 46% on pitcher versus 38% on pitcher. Savala. Anyone play Savala? No, it wasn't that much of a difference. Not as much as I thought it would be. Other than the fact that the pitcher is more owned. So it's a little bit more valuable to play. Yeah, I guess the White Sox said, let's see, who else? Who else was on? Moncada? Moncada? Eh, well, I mean, uh, you got sharper people that if you're not playing Manoa, you're more likely to play White Sox. But then let's take a look at the at the, the Blue Jays, like Bichette. Okay, Bichette was slightly lower owned here. Semien, Semien lower owned. Guerrero. Low, slightly more than one percentage point or so. Corey Dickerson, a little bit more. He was, he was cheaper. T. Oscar, yeah, lower owned. Not as dramatic that I, as I thought it would be. All I knew is that in comparison to other teams on the slate, when I was when everything locked last night, 
I mean, I was just seeing single digits like everywhere in my line. Like Hooray is 32% owned. Altuve's 28. Alvarez is 20. Starling Marte's 19. Kettle Marte's 19. Judge is 16. Rizzo's 17. And I'm just looking at all 5 to 10%, 5 to 8% guys in my lineup going, okay, this is fine. On a six-game slate, perfectly fine. And I'm stacking against Manoa or Lynn, who are going to be 30 and 46% owned. So one of those things work out and it's a low scoring slate, which it was yesterday. I have a good shot at winning, especially a smaller field contest. Didn't work out. I'm just, I'm just explaining what I did and why I did it. But just always understand the concept that the smaller the contest goes, the more the ownership is going to get next. The more relative value that you can get out of your players. The more that a fade is worth it. Right, the more that you know, doubling down. Right, because look at this describe what is the efficient ownership of Alec Manoa? Come up with a number. You think his efficient ownership should be 36% on a slate? Well, 38 is slightly over, but at 46, he's much more over, which means in the rally cap, you'd be more likely to actually play more of them than in the medium, the smaller contest. Same for Correa. For the shortstop, be 32% owned, who I know is a weak position. That's why in those single entry, three max, smaller field type of contests, it's, it's, mu it's much more beneficial to just like, where, where, where's the one leverage point? I'm just going to take advantage of and then build the rest of your lineup any way you want. Typically in small field, you don't, you don't, you don't need the nuts. So people may look at my lineup and go, they're really contrary. But they're really not. They're really not contrary. As contrary, they're not because they're correlated and they have one major leverage point, right? If Alec Manoa gives up six runs to the White Sox and no one else really does anything, I win. Like, I don't need, I don't need the White Sox to put up 12 runs. I just need half the lineups in the contest, to, almost half, to die. Alec Manoa negative six or something. And then the, the what's correlated to Alec Manoa negative six? Well, the White Sox back. So I get the best of both worlds. Then I do that with the Blue Jays and Lynn, right? Then I do the same thing with Lynn, right? I'll play a lineup with the Blue Jays. <laughs> I hope one of these things happens. I play Wainoa against the Yankees stack, right? Okay, if the Yankees fail, I need the Yankees to fail as a stack today well what's what correlates with that well probably who oscar you know pitching decently enough on a six game slate that maybe he gets 15 to 20 points but that's the thinking when doing this stuff manually like manual like if you're hand building or something like that like make those types of choices don't be afraid you're going to lose more often than not. You're going to lose 95% of the time. That's the point. And the one time you win, one out of 20 times that you do win, hopefully you, I'm winning 20,000. There you go. Makes up for everything. Now, I would have built those types of lineups, the rally cap, sure, also. But now you have to come closer than now. Now you have to come closer than nuts. Now, on a six-game slate, like locking yourself into four fours and five threes, Especially on this slate. If you played five threes on this slate, you're dead. 
right? Because no stack up. If we take a look at we take a look at the winning lineups. I mean, take a look. I mean, it was two Yankees, two Seattle, Wood Merrifield, Pittsburgh, Arizona. I mean, it's just two, two, one, 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 one. Right, because like, no stack up there. No, it, it was it was not a high scoring slate at all. Just uh, just a messy bunch of stuff, which is fine. It's more likely to happen on a six-game slate than a 14-game slate. But it's just like, I'm never going to build these lines. And in smaller field, you don't need, I don't need the Whit Merrifield one-off. Like, that's fine. I could just build 5-3, 4-4. Just, can I get two teams right? The $88 contest, like we'd say, hey, look here, 44,000 entries into the rally cap. You look at the medium eights. Medium eight says what? 12.92. So how much, I don't need to get that close to the nuts. My White Sox against Manoa work out and it's tagged along with Colorado. You know, cheap Colorado bats versus Hendricks. And that's right. And there you go, done. Yeah, 20,000, give it to me. And if the chalk comes in, then I'm dead. And that's it. It's like, okay. Oh, well. There'll be another slate tomorrow. There'll be another slate tomorrow. Where are we going? What happened to my... Okay, there we go. We go back to this. But we can see here, I mean, it's typical of most slates. I put up some sharper players, right? Let's a, let's a see a yellow mostly. Towards the top. Take a look at anyone that's 20% or higher. That's not a pitcher, I guess. Seeger, Altuve, Correa. I mean, like, it's just, it's mostly, not, not none, not zero. But probably, the, probably over-owned. Jordan Alvarez. Even Kettle Marte over here. I mean, just see a lot of yellow. Then depending on how, obviously how you're building lineups, you'll, you'll be more over or under on pitchers. But if you take a look here at Manoa, like really kind of across the board, Nerdy Tenor, Hovro, Squirrel Patrol, I mean like, yeah, 33%, 36%, 30%, 19. So it's like not I mean, zero, but probably, probably, did, probably these are more efficient ownerships than 38. Probably Manoa's efficient ownership was somewhere around 32, 32-ish percent, something like that. That's what I would think. Lynn, probably similar, 20, 26%. Granke, I, I don't know how you get to 24% Granke. Hendricks seems about right. Manoa, a little bit higher than I expected. Sensata, I thought Sensatella, I thought his efficient ownership was 30 plus percent. That's why I had no problem playing him. You know, Hubro, I mean, played a ton of him. Squirrel Patrol, 30%. Nerdy Tanner, 23%. Depends on how you're building your lineup. Michael Dampier, I stack mostly ATL, so my night ended early. Was the winning lineup a bunch of Oracle uncorrelated one-offs? Yeah, pretty much. It'll happen, especially on smaller slates. If you want to build like that, fine, go ahead. I don't, just don't see how it's... How it's uh, 
if, if, if that's how you're going to build as a primary strategy, I don't know how that's sustainable long term. Can you have some lineups that are like three, two, one, one? Yeah, I guess so. Remember, every lineup is different. Depends on the lineup in and of itself. But I'm never going to build a solo one-off. I'm not the lineup that wins the the rally cap yesterday. I, I I'm just never going to build. Can that? Can I build those types of lineups every slate and be profitable? I don't think so. That's the key. It's not about that yet. Yesterday's slate. It's can, can you build like that and be profitable long term? If you can, God bless you. If it, fine. You're better than everyone else. Fine. You can do it. I can't. Doesn't mean I lock myself into five threes. No. Doesn't mean I'm playing two, two, one, 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 one. <sighs> Ricardo Ray, it's easier to predict what the field would do on a smaller slate. Sometimes it, it really depends. Larger slates, lar larger slates are easier. I think larger slates are easier to predict uh, the chalk. And smaller slates are harder to exploit that. It's a weird, it's a weird way of putting it. On a six-game slate, like we see yesterday, for instance, okay? Take for instance. Yesterday, more of the field, think psychologically, okay? This is a psychological thing. If you were playing yesterday and you were building lineups, I think the first thought in your mind was the Yankees are going to be chalked and Manoa is going to be chalked. That's the first thing in your mind. And if you're at least a somewhat competent GBP player, you'd be like, how can I get different, right? You think that that's the, just very basic concepts. They go, well, I'm not going to play the Yankees and I'm going to play something else, right? And it turns out that something else ended up being more Houston than anything else. So like the Yankees came in lower. The Yankees were projected to be the highest owned stack and they weren't. But I think that's primarily due to people reacting to the fact that they know that the Yankees are most likely going to be the highest owned stack and they end up not coming in as the highest owned stack. But since it's only a six game slate, there's only so much to look at. On a 14, like we have a 14 game slate today. They're going to be a couple of teams, three or four teams that are going to be chalked, right? Maybe one more than the other, but we may get like three or four teams that like everyone's going to start gravitating towards to some extent. We won't have a team that is going to be 35% down, down, the, down the line on a 14-game on a slate, but you'll know. You're going to know that this batch, this batch of three or four, but there's, there's 28 teams on the slate. So if ownership starts condensing towards just these three or four teams, you have so many other teams that are 2% owned, 3% owned, 5% owned. Well, you have three or four teams that are 10 plus, 15 plus on a 14 game slate. So once you can identify here, oh, here's the other, here's the three or four, now you have so many more options. Like you don't have to, you don't have to play the metagame of, well, people are going to get off of that team and where are they going? Right? Well, you could, it's just that there's so many more options. Oh, they're not. People are going to play the Angels today. Like we take a look at the stack projections for the bat. Like, okay, I think the Angels. I think the the Rangers could be like that cheap vomit stack type of team. But you take a look here and you go: Are, are people going to play the Rockies against against Justin Steele? Are they going to play the Dodgers? Like, 
Like they can't play everyone. So what people are going to do is go, okay, the Angels are too chalky. Who, who do I play? Well, who do they choose? Well, there's so many more teams to choose from. On a slate like yesterday, how many, how many choices are there? People went, okay, I went to the Astros. Well, then a lot of people did that, right? I, I'm not going to play the Yankees. Now I have 11 other choices, and several of them are, are not good. And that's where the ownership goes. But there's only so few options on a six-game slate. So the top two own teams, like, how do I get different? Well, everyone's going to start getting different in a very similar way. So the, the ownership gets more efficient that way. On a 14-game slate with 28 teams, it's less likely to. You identify the three, four chalky teams, and you go, how do I get different? Well, how many do you have 20 teams to get different? Do you have to concern yourself about the, about the, well, everyone's going to play, instead of playing that, they're going to play this. Like, are you, how, how many of, how, how many are you going to do that? Because some people are going to choose some other team. Some another people, first is going to choose some other team. Yeah, you may not get, you may not get a certain team at 1% though, you'll get them at 2% though. Okay, that's not a dramatic enough of a difference. But look what happened yesterday with the, with the Yankees. I'm assuming a lot of people like the Yankees are going to be chalk. I'm going to play the Astros. And then they looked and the Astros ended up being the chalkiest stack. They go, what the hell happened there? And look at the A's. I was amazed. Starlin Marte is the most expensive player on the slate. 19% owned. I mean, look, Jake Myers, the bottom of the, the Astros line was 14% owned. So looking at the ownership of the actual ownership and then looking at the lineups that I made, I'm, I, I've no, I have no complaints about yesterday. Other than the outcome didn't work out. But look, I ended up playing no Astros. I'd end up playing no Manoa, no Lynn. I didn't play the A's at this ownership. I didn't play the Diamondbacks at this ownership. I ended up playing the Braves and the, the Blue Jays and the White Sox and the Rockies and the Mariners. And like, I'm, I look at this ownership and go, had I known this ownership, I would, yeah, obviously I would have, I wouldn't have changed my lineups. If anything, maybe I would have played, maybe I would have played a three-man Yankees or something like that. Maybe I would have. But outside of that, like I'm not, what am, what am I supposed to complain about? I believe I made the right choices. The ownership backed me up, and so be it. I mean, you get the highest ceiling first baseman in the entire slate for 7%. Hot, one of the highest ceiling outfielders for 7%. I mean, what am I complaining about? When you get Freddie Freeman at 7%. When you're getting Yoan Makeda for 5%. Like, what am I complaining? I can't complain about it. Other than the fact that it didn't happen. But I don't get to control that. Mark's Minimix says, uh, Slate IQ only had four teams of positive leverage. Right, it's a small slate. That doesn't mean you can't play the negative leverage teams. It just means you have to build those lineups to make up for that. that that's all that means. Uh, let's see. Go through the YouTube chat. 
Not much, not much going on. If you want to ask questions, you could obviously type it in into YouTube. Give me those thummy thumbs. What's going on today? Ah, the bat and Jesus Lizardo. We meet again. He always projects well. Worth playing. I got a 5.5 strikeout prop. Okay, it can't be that bad. 6,400. So like I go through, I see, okay, well, what's the, what's the bad optimal? What, what, what? Let's see. Burns and flow. Okay, you just pay up. It's going to love Texas. Like the, the, yeah, this is, this is what I expected. Texas, Minnesota, Angels. Yeah, this makes sense. Look how, look how cheap Texas is. Facing Eli Morgan. We go to hitters. I mean, just look at the point per dollar. I mean, look. I mean, look at this projected order. I mean, to, uh, the most expensive player on the team is 3,700 IKF, and everyone else is under 3K. I mean, look, look, look how cheap this, this team is. Like, if you want to play Burns Flaherty or something, that's here you go. Here's the Texas stack against Eli Morgan. Dolis Garcia, 2,900. Right, and then you take a look at Minnesota against Hawk. There, you look at this. There, I mean, the prices on these batters, I mean, this is, this is not like they've been doing the past years of playing MLB. We go back, we go back two years. When, when you know, 2017 through 2019, me playing MLB, 2016 even. You wouldn't see batters that are under 3K. You see them once in a blue moon. Some minor league call-up would be 2,500. And eventually they'd raise his price up to 3,500 at some point across the way. No, no, we get just, you know, JK, 2,000. Okay, no big deal, right? Luis Arias, 2,900. Like, look, look at these prices. Then you go to like uh, like the Angels, the 5.47 implied run total. You still get cheap enough. I mean, Joe Adele, Brandon Marsh, Justin Upton still thirty four hundred. He's going to be chalky. I mean, look at that. Just that you wouldn't see this. Two thousand eighteen, you wouldn't you wouldn't see these types. Justin Upton would be fifty four hundred, or even like Joe Adele would be forty two hundred. Brandon March would be four thousand. Jack Mayfield would be thirty eight hundred. Right? You'd look and you'd go. You go to these lineups. You go to Texas, right? Yanni Hernandez would be 4,000. Dolores Garcia would be 4,800. Nathaniel Lowe would be 4,000, right? DJ Peters would be 3,800, right? That would be the cheap guy, right? Jason Martin coming up for the minors. Like maybe maybe he's stuck at 2,800. He's the only guy in the lineup that's under like $3,000. And then you look at that and you go, how the hell do you play the Texas Rangers? Well, you can, right? And that this is where the vomit stacks come in. Because if you could find stacks that are five man under 20,000, you can now put like two ace pitchers in your lineup. But you could do that anyway now. Like, because look, look at how much, I mean, I've been complaining about this all season. Not that, not saying it's a bad thing. It's just a different thing. So when people ask me about vomit stacks in baseball, it's, it's almost not a thing. It's actually the other way around. It's almost, it's too easy to build double stud lineups that it actually those lineups go over owned. so the ways to do the opposite so you exploit by doing the opposite 
That's about adapting. You have to you have to know how to adapt in DFS. There's no one strategy that works. There's no one line of construction that works. Do you do this or do you do that? Well, there's no answer. Depends on the slate. Depends on depends on what your opponents are doing. That's what in the beginning of the season I was like, okay, vomit stack here, vomit stack there. Give me, give me Jacob Degrom and and Shane Bieber and run me down and let's see if my cheap stack could go off. And then I see that you know you you could play those two pitchers with even decent teams. Like why am I playing the Tigers? But back in 2016, 17, 18, 19. That was the only way to do that. You had to look at the Marlins. And the Marlins weren't like 2K. They were 3K, 3,500. It'd be like, okay, I'll play five Marlins in the double stud. And the Marlins would still be like 1% up. Like, okay, let's see if they get there. The Pirates, you know, those types of teams. The Tigers. But now, I mean, Miles Straw is leaning off for the Indians. He's still 2,800. He's been he's been in that range for for weeks. Like why? I mean that's why you take a look at the point per dollar over here and just like look you just find so many. 3 plus, 2 and a half plus. Most of them are Rangers on this slate. Like Justin Upton here, Nick Solak, DJ Stewart against Bundy. 2200 in the Orioles lineup batting fifth. Any other, if it was three years ago, he'd be priced at like 3,600. He'd be, he'd still be a cheap hitter. You'd be like, oh, 3,600. Why don't you play him? But like Bradley Zimmer, 2,300. Like, why? Ben Attendee's 2,700, batting cleanup for the Royals. Why isn't he, why isn't he 4,000? Santander, right? We got the Santander, the, right? Why is he 2,800? At some point, can he, can he get up to 4,000? Like I said, these aren't complaints. Just it makes the, it changes the game. You could always find some cheap one-off with home run power, like on every slate. And multiple, and multiple of them. Santander, Garcia, Upton, Michael Taylor, Jackie Bradley. I mean, you could just find Harrison Bader. You got the, the Cardinals outfielders. Tyler O'Neill is always 3,300 for some reason. But it makes it feel it makes casual people feel better that they could fit fit better players into their lineup, which is fine. I want I want the casual players to play. Just changes the whole dynamic of like, well, well, you could pretty much stack any team. You don't need these cheap teams, especially at Fanduel. You don't need them at all. Going through the YouTube chat, it's gonna be a short show if there's no YouTube action. There's no chat room action in the YouTube chat. Jeff Coley, MMA question. Where do you get your round one finish probabilities? From uh, five dimes, typically. Best fight odds? If they're up yet. They may not even be up. It's Tuesday. You go to best fight odds. Right? Let it load. Right? There's nothing here. So it lists all these. LFA, PFL. Okay, here we go. UFC. So here you go. This shows the lines from multiple books. Now, five dimes is is an offshore book. So, like, I don't care about the, I don't care about the U.S. books. They're, they tend to take less sharp action. But, I mean, you could use them also. You could average them all out if you want. But then you click on, on the, on the props. Then you could go and you could see, right, 
Biden, you know, all these pro all these props. Now they're not up yet. Simply like here we go. Chikadze wins inside the distance, plus 240. Right? You could even track the motion of the bets with the line. Barbosa wins inside distance plus 220. So that would be the ITD line. And then here, Barbosa wins in round one. Chikadze wins in round one. They don't have lines posted yet, but that's where they would be. Right? I don't think they they don't have it for the main event. They don't have it for any other fight, right? Battle versus Urbina, right? Yeah, they have the, they have the inside the distance ones posted. They don't have the round ones posted, but that's well, there you go. Or you can go to the individual sports books. If you want to go, you go to DraftKings Sportsbook and click on each individual. You could do that. They have them there. But I mean, typically best fight odds for MMA. Like has all the all the MMA cards, right? Here's fight night for the, the following week. Right, if you want to bet on that, but none of the props are posted. Maybe for the main event, maybe a little. Till Brunson. Yeah, only on FanDuel though. Right. You can go by the FanDuel lines. Right. If we go back up here, here's five dimes. But I mean, FanDuel probably has Barboza wins in round one plus eight fifty. Chikaze wins in round one plus seven fifty. But if you notice here, I mean, take a look at, at the lines, the pricing across the board. FanDuel, typically, the lines are much, much more uh, big involved. If you look at Chikaze wins by decisions, plus 305 here, plus 300, plus 300, plus 333, plus 275. But at FanDuel, it's plus 360. All right, so... But these lines tend to be a little bit more inflated on books like FanDuel, DraftKings, William Hill, MGM, points bet. I prefer I prefer getting when when doing for DFS. Obviously, I'm not saying go oh, go bet offshore betting or anything like that. This is just purely for information. That I'm much more inclined to 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 utilize uh, betting lines from books that. Uh, take the sharpest action and have the lowest bid. So that's like Pinnacle, Five Dimes, Bookmaker, Chris, you know, like stuff, you know, out, stuff outside of the country. It's even in like, like soccer, like I, I'm more likely to look at bet 365 lines for soccer than I would for you know, FanDuel and DraftKings. Bet 365 is a retail book, but they're in the, the UK. They probably take more, there's probably more liquidity for soccer on Bet365 than all of the American sports books. They meant to legalize whatever regulated sports books combined. So that's what that's one thing that you, you have to understand when it comes to betting markets. If you're utilizing betting markets in order to for your DFS play, you want the, the most accurate, the most efficient market possible, which means you need liquidity. That's what the wisdom of crowds is. That you you want you want a million bets on this game rather than a hundred bets. Right? That line, what does that line mean? Only a hundred people bet on it. So that's why I said, like for soccer, like bet 365 will take so much more liquidity in the Premier League on a Saturday, like that trumps all of these books put together. So if I'm if I'm gonna play DFS soccer and use Soccer anytime goal scoring odds or uh, you know score line 
lines, you know, like, you know, two to one, three to one, three, you know, those, anything like that. I want to take it from the most liquid. I want to take it from the sharpest, most liquid market possible. Now, can I, can I get the best of both sharpest and liquid? Maybe, but I want one of the two. When it comes to MMA, Bet365 is not much of a liquid market. You don't have that many UK people betting on MMA in the United States. As much as it would be on, on, on the retail, American sports books. But even then, I'm more likely to look at Pinnacle or Five Dimes or Bookmaker, one of those. So, I mean, you could see here. Or what you could do, or just take them all and just average them and just average. Aggregate them. You could, you could do that. That's, that's fine also. I mean, you see here, look, look, at, look at some of these lines if you go across the board on Best Fight Odds. I could see, like, for instance, this Petrosky Gilmore, minus 515 at five dimes, but like some of them are like minus 560. But look at the difference 560 and 370. Like, look how, look how large the spread is here 550, 350. Right? This is a 200, this is a 200. Spread here. This is a 105 spread. This is a 100 spread. Right? You're not betting on these things. You're not using these to bet. You're using them just to turn into percentages into implied probabilities. So you'd rather have something that's a little bit more accurate. Oh, it, it, is it is it 55 percent or is it 58 percent? That may matter for you playing DFS even though you're not betting on this. That's why I just want to just highlight. It's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not promoting offshore books to bet on. I don't care. I don't care about betting on these things. I just don't know. I don't know who these people are. Who's Andre Petrovsky. Who's Michael Gilmore. No clue. All I know is that Andre, Andre Petrovsky is on this slate, the biggest favorite by like a million, right? By a ton. Look, minus 515. We have inside the distance. Inside the distance, minus 205. Wow. It's very rare in MMA to see that. That minus 205. It's like a, that's a little over that 67% chance of getting a finish. He, he's he's going to be the high. I mean, I'm assuming he's going to end up being. We don't have the prices out. He's going to be the highest price fighter on the slate. It's going to be hard to. That, but it comes down to, he may be the highest priced fighter on the slate. He may be the highest owned fighter on the slate, and he may still be under owned, right? We, we put it down that he has a 67, 68% chance at a finish. Possibly wins in round one could be like 45% to win in round one. And if he ends up being like 58% owned as the highest owned fighter, he may be under May turn and that may, may turn out to he may he may be ninety seven hundred I don't know I don't know what the price of this is going to be I hope that answers your question but you can do this for any sport like any sport football baseball anything like obviously you don't go to best fight odds but you you go go to scores and odds go to scores and odds and it's a better collective site I go to NFL okay we don't have NFL we don't have NFL props. Go, you know, props. All right, so you could look here. Like, you want to see between the, what's posted now. I mean, we don't have many props posted by books. 
home run props, strikeout props, right? And you could see. But all this is going to do, this is going to show for the, the legalized American sports books. You could blind shop, obviously. But you could use this if you wanted to use it. If you wanted to use some type of thing, then how many strikeouts is so-and-so? And that goes into your rudimentary model. You just use the betting line. So scores and odds also has this type of stuff. I don't think they have soccer, though. Other? No, we don't have soccer. Oh, MMA? We got MMA. Let's see. Rosa versus, yeah, but we just have, yeah, we don't have much yet. Cannoneer versus Gastelum, those already took place. No, we don't have much for the, uh, for, for MMA. I'd use scores and odds if we had, if it, if it showed more like this or something, you know, to, for MMA. But remember, if you're using props and you're using betting lines, for DFS purposes, it doesn't matter. Like, oh, do I use DraftKings? Do I use bet? Like, you're not betting on, you're not using them to bet on. You're using them to get probabilities. That's it. Let's see. Let's go to the YouTube chat. Michael Dompier's strategy. Any idea of soft pricing on DK reduces 5-3 or 4-4 lineups ending at the top relative to top and I don't know what that means. Ending at the top relative reduces the chance of five of highly correlative lineups ending winning first place relative to tougher price. I don't know. Five three still shows. We we do the analysis on Slate IQ. Five three still tends is the highest, typically the highest leverage construction you can make and people and, and when they hear that they build five three lineups and they'd be wrong say like, oh so then i should build all five three lineups no that's that's not that's nothing of what i said let me repeat myself the construction type of the winning lineup that has the highest leverage will be a 5-3 line. Of, but on today's slate, it's quite possible that there's no plus EV Texas five-man lineups, right? It doesn't say what teams, it doesn't say what lineups. Remember, you have to think in terms of lineups, not constructions. Oh, well, if I play a 5-3 of uh, Tampa Bay and Boston Red Sox, like, oh, then, then I'm good. I'm positive leverage. Like, are you sure about that? Yes, yes. Less people are playing a 5-3 of those two teams. You're right. But just because on Slate IQ, it says, oh, positive leverage for 5-3. 5-3 in general, there are still, there's still going to be tons of 5-3 lineups that are horrible. They're negative EV. 5-3 in and of itself is not positive EV. 5-3, uh, a large portion of 5-3 lineups versus what the field is going to own the map makes them positive leverage. That's what that means. So he's like, oh, do you build 5-3 or 5X? It's like, well, it depends on the lineup. Do you build 5-3? Do you build 5-2-1s on this slate? Do you build 4-3s on this slate? Do you build 4-4s? Do you build 4-2-1-1s? Like, there's no answer to those questions. They're 
There are great lineups in all those constructions. You want to build 3-3-1, 3-3-2? There are probably, they're not as many positive EV lineups for that, for, for a 14-game slate, but there are. There are probably two two one one ones that are plus EV. Not as many. But in the subset of five, three lineups, maybe half of them are plus EV, which is a large portion, obviously. 50% of lineups that are 5-3 end up being plus EV in the long run. That's a lot. At 2-2-1-1-1, maybe there's 3% of those types of lineups that are plus EV. 97% of them over time are going to be unprofitable in general. So what, what is that 3%? Well, that, that 3% is, is probably not cheap rangers and leaving money on the table. What three three one one lineups are there? Same for the five three. You go okay, the five three. Half of them are profitable, but how many pirates of those? Maybe there maybe there's only three total. Three total five three pirates raise lineups, right? You switch one player out. You switch Margot out for Austin Meadows, and it's now an unprofitable one. But it's five three, and it's pirates raise. Yeah, but maybe that specific one is now negative. There may not be as many of them. So those 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 percentages that you see with positive and negative leverage for the construction type. Like I could bring that up. I think I have to search for it. Roto grinders slate IQ. It's not Monday, July fifth, but whatever. I'm just going to pull up whatever. It doesn't matter what the Monday, July 27th, who cares? Do we even have it here? No, of course not. Uh, what was yesterday? August 23rd. Okay, yeah, so that we could get it here. And it's not going to change. It's going to change based on the size of the slate, but not much. So you see here, the stack type leverage. It's like, oh, 32221 is negative. All this is negative except for 5-3, right? So I'm just going to build all 5-3 lineups. That's not what this chart shows. There are tons of 5-2-1 lineups that are, are, that are, that are good. This shows the average of all of them, right? Winners. 10.98%, field 12.45%. But what are those exact lineups? doesn't mean you don't play 5-2-1. It doesn't mean you don't do any of these and you only play 5-3 because there's probably going to be tons of 5-3 lineups that are worse, right? You see here, 4-2-1-1. You go minus 29% leverage. Oh, that's horrible. Compared to the field, playing a 4-2-1-1 lineup on a six-game slate, you should avoid like the play. Like, no, I could, I could show you probably hundreds, if not over a thousand, four, two, one, one lineups that are better than half of the five, three lineups. So it depends on the lineup that you're playing. So don't look at this as like, oh, nope, I got to avoid all of these, like the plague and just build five, three, because this is a construction that doesn't take into account who's in the lineup. I'm going to take the I'm going to take the eight worst hitters, the five worst hitters of one team, and the three worst hitters of another team, and two 4K pitchers that are horrible. 
but it's a five three lineup. What? That's going to be a neg- That's going to be such an unprofitable lineup. And then you're going to go. Okay, well, how about if I just make sure to spend all my salary? And I'm going to play. I'm going to play the, the five overpriced, the completely overpriced team, over owned, overpriced with a three overpriced, over. You know, everything's overpriced, completely. You know, we we get a we get a slate where uh, where uh, uh, Shohei Otani is uh, is is eight thousand. Or maybe he's not overpriced. Justin Upton is seventy four hundred. Like, let's price the Angels up like the, the like their pitchers as batters, and then you try to fill out the rest of your line. But I made a five three construction. Isn't that plus less? No, it isn't. That lineup that you made is probably the worst five three lineup, and there's probably thousands of four three ones and four two one ones that would be better than. Let's see. Alex Hooper gives a nice tip. Learn from me. If you're going to aggregate odds, convert them to probabilities before averaging. You don't want the average odds of plus eight. Yes, that would be correct. You'd be averaging the percentages. And and he says, prices for MMA just dropped. Uh, Petrovsky is 9,200. How is he only 9,200? I mean, obviously they're gonna. I mean, they go up 92, 91, 9,000. But but on this slate, on this MMA slate, and I'm just looking at the odds over here because we got like this is a pick 'em. These are all pick 'em ranges, right? And this is just like absurdly. St- oh, we got Muradov. Is he on the slate? Minus five fifty. Jesus, what kind of slate is this? Wins inside the distance, minus one eighty five. Okay. Now I may maybe I understand why these prices are this low. We've got another guy that's Mur- Muradov. I don't know who these people are. The Churchio, minus two thirty. JJ Aldrich, minus three thirty five. How many huge favorites are on this card? Minus three twenty for Mana Martinez. But the, for Trotsky, ninety two hundred. He has to be the highest price, unless Muradov is at ninety three hundred. I guess. Who knows? I'll take a look. I don't know why I have to look at it. I, I'll, I'll look at it. I'll look at it after this. But I hope you understand what like these charts are trying to show you. Like at least this with a team. Like you say, okay, team stacking. Okay, wins nine point three percent, field at fifteen point eight percent. That means it's heavily negative leverage. As Houston, as an aggregate. But let's say you play. You don't play Correa in your lineup. You don't play Altuve in your lineup. Right, and you play the bottom of the order. That's still Houston. And maybe that lineup is actually positive leverage. But Houston as a whole, most of that ownership is coming into like two or three players. And if you just if you don't play them or you play a much weirder different five man of the Astros, then you end up making the full lineup actually plus EV and you're fine. So people look at this and go, Gup, gotta X out Houston. Like, no, you could you could play Houston stacks. And they look here, Colorado at 86, you know, the highest leverage, right? Oh, I gotta play tons of color. Yeah, well, not, yes, it's the highest leverage, but it doesn't win that often. No, I'm gonna play 150 Colorado Rockies lineups. Like, good luck with that. Yes, it's it's the most profitable type of lineup in general. 
but I'm going to play the one, two, three, four, five at all 150. Yeah. And then Sam Hilliard hits a grand slam and you're sitting there. You know, what, what, what happened? All right. It's Colorado as a whole, Houston as a whole, Yankees as a whole. But take a look, take, take a look here at the teams that I played. Right. I mean, look, I mean, this is, what did I mention before that I played yesterday? I said, I played the White Sox, White Sox, positive leverage. Okay. Not the highest chance of being the winning stack, but positive leverage. I played Colorado. I played Toronto. Played Atlanta, which wasn't that bad, minus three. Compared to some of these other teams, that was actually a good deal. And Seattle. Wouldn't you know? What teams did I play? They're they're towards the top over here. I mean, this isn't that complicated, people, right? We have all the data, right? Houston, Yankees, Diamondbacks, like all these teams were over-owned. And as a whole, it was like, I'm just playing nine lineups. So just like, okay, just give me these teams. I didn't agree necessarily with the Atlanta ownership. And apparently, apparently I was the one that was wrong. And I was playing pitchers in the, and like I was playing uh, Crow against Pittsburgh. So I didn't want to do that. So I needed a cheap pitcher other than Senzatella. There you go. Not that hard. This is in premium. If you're a Roto-Grinders premium member, you get this every day. You get Slate IQ. Use it to your advantage. I could show up for a Slate 10 minutes before and just pull this up and go, okay, I want to play Colorado, Seattle, Toronto, White Sox. Let me build my 10 lineups my five lineups, my 150 lineups. Like you can do that. We do all the work for you. So sign up for Roto Grinders Premium, $10 off your first month. Click on the link in the description below. To me, I think this is one of the most useful parts of premium. Slate IQ, obviously the plate IQ projections. Can't do anything without them. Get Cheese's musings. get like the stack percentages page but i mean you, you don't even need that i mean to me you have the plate iq projections and slate iq and then build lineups there you go you're good you don't even have to most of the stuff on plate iq doesn't change oh this is well today's slate it's this and it's a stud stud versus a high mid high mid like these things don't change that often or the chalk hit rates for the hitters like they're going to have four or five at bats. It's almost impossible to project. Well, this one's positive leverage, and that one's it's so marginal that I don't even know if you you'd, you'd worry about it. But the 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 stack the teams this team stacking section is going to take the plate IQ projections and the ownership projections that we have and give and make this chart. So it's going to do that work for you. So when ownership gets updated, slate IQ gets updated. When the projections finally, you know, when we get all the lineups in, finally, 6.15 Eastern, maybe the winning percentages change. So, like, you you reload Slate IQ half an hour, 45 minutes before lock. That'll be, that typically is the, the final update. And there you go, build lineups. Brett Jewett asked, maybe I'm a thick, but how does yesterday's stats correlate to today? Nothing. What happened yesterday doesn't matter today. 
but the actual baseball outcomes. But learning how to play DFS strategy-wise, that's the, if you're if you're not reviewing your slates, you're not you're not you're never going to be a good player. What did you do right or wrong yesterday? Based not on based on the outcomes, based on the strategy. Looking at the tools that we had, looking at the data, the best stacks to play yesterday were Colorado, Seattle, Toronto, and the White Sox. Doesn't matter that Toronto Chicago game was two to one. Strategically, that was the correct move. So that's what you learn from looking at yesterday. How could you apply that type of mentality, that thinking, that strategy to today? So if you're not learning from past slates, you're not, I mean, what, what are you doing? You're just repeating the same errors over and over and over again. Who's on a hot streak, right? Who has BVP? You're doing the, the things that don't matter. Do the things that actually matter. So feel free to hit the thumbs up button on your way out the door. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. We got Grinders live later today. 5.30 Eastern, followed by crunch time for premium members. And as Devin says in the YouTube chat, the PGA Drive 4, the Drive 4 show. Drive, is, is that supposed to be a pun? I never understood that. I thought it was Drive for the Dough. And it's like the PGA Drive 4 show, DFS for Dough. Is it the Drive for, drive for, show, for Shower? For Show? I, don't, I never got that. I, should, I probably should ask Nona. Because it's a preposition. The drive drive for show, DFS for dough. So you drive for show because you're showing off? Is this a golf term that I don't know anything about? I thought it was the PGA drive for dough show. Like that makes sense. Drive for dough show. Okay. But apparently it's the drive for show, DFS for dough. With a comma. Anytime the show name needs to have punctuation, you know, you know, you probably probably didn't come up with a good show title. <laughs> oh. Daniel asked, do you think of any slate IQ is applicable for uh, FanDuel? Well, it's not based on FanDuel data and it's not based on FanDuel projections and FanDuel pricing, so no. But that mentality... What teams are, have the highest chance of being the winning stack versus how they're going to be owned? You don't even need these numbers. I could cover cover up the numbers. You look at the, your projections. You look at everything. You go, okay, this team's going to be this owned. This team's going to be that owned. Is that over-owned? Is that under-owned? You go, oh, I think this team's going to be over-owned. Okay, so that means they're negative leverage. So there, there you go. That concept. Don't worry about the numbers. Who cares about the numbers? Don't worry. Don't look at the numbers. Understand the concepts. I could have, I, in, in yesterday, when I built my lineups, let me tell you, I did not look at slate IQ. Like this screen that we're looking at right now, I did not look at yesterday. I built my nine lineups without looking at slate IQ. Yet for some odd reason, I, I had four stacks that were the highest leverage stacks. You know why? Because you could figure that, you kind of figure that out in your head. It'd be right more often than not. Well, Manoa is going to be chalky. Lynn is going to be chalky. 
Toronto and the White Sox are, are not going to be as high owned as they should be for the ceilings that they have. So I'm going to play them. I need a cheaper team to go along with it. Well, people are going to play Arizona and Pittsburgh and the Royals. Who are they not going to play? Seattle and Colorado. Done. Make the lineups. Like it's, not that, it's not that complicated to think that way. This is a, would be a good double check, right? I probably would have built my, I would have started building my lineups. Like, oh, let me go check Slate IQ. And I would have said, and I would have gone, okay, I'm right. Right? So as long as you understand the concept, you could, you could get to this point anyway. The differences between these little things? No, probably not. You're like, oh, Atlanta's minus 3.1. But in the comparison to the rest of the slate, still better than Houston and the Yankees and the Royals. Okay. If Atlanta ended up being higher, well, whatever. They, they were... You're not going to find the difference. The differences of these little things or even the 14, like 20 to 20 type of percentages. It's the margin of error. But I mean, you didn't know that that the Toronto, that the, the Blue Jays White Sox game is the highest leverage game for bats on the slate. Then you don't understand the concepts because they had the two highest owned pitchers on the slate. So obviously they're going to be the lowest owned bats on the slate in comparison, which makes them positive leverage because their chances of being the winning stack are likely to be higher than they're going to be owned. Oh, Doug Montgomery clarified it for me. In golf, there is a saying, drive for show and putt for dough. Okay. Okay, see, now that make now it makes sense. It makes sense because I, I don't I don't know golf as much. But I mean, if you if you're just if you just uh, if you're an English major <laughs> and you look at the show title and you go, I don't know, I the drive for show, DFS for why why is the show in the middle of everything? So now, now it makes sense. So if you're a golf person, you get it. Like probably you're looking at that going, of course it makes sense. And me, I'm going, why, why do we have commas and semicolons and show titles? <laughs> right, why? Pre-game show, is there, does, is there a hyphen in pre-game? Should be. Do we do it? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think, even think I do it on the tweet. No, because you can't put hyphens and hashtags. You can, but it screws everything up. So hit the thumbs up button on your way out the door. Like I said before, Grinders Live coming up later today. They'll be going over the 14-game slate tonight in detail. And, uh, and I'll be back tomorrow to, 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 to review it and answer your DFS strategy questions as always. Like I do Mondays through Fridays, 11 o'clock Eastern on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.